Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. And this week, we start a brand new three-part series, which is really exciting. I don't know what we're going to do after the three parts is over. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's like we have four weeks in the month, but we only have three weeks worth of content planned. So, That's... I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, people could just binge this at any time, so it doesn't really matter about the month, I guess. But yeah, we're about to start a three-week series on uh, the three angels' message. Yes, the three angels' be, messages uh, of Revelation 14, verse 1 to 20, I believe. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's cool. It'll be interesting because um, they get referenced and talk, talked about all the time in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but a lot of people just have no idea what they are. Um, yeah, it's funny because it's like one of those things which like a lot of Seventh-day Adventists are really quite keen on, but you don't hear about it a lot in any traditions outside of the our church, our faith tradition. So that's it's true. kind um, of something which we kind of go, this is, this is our thing, but it's not really. Yeah, I mean, it's in the Bible. Like every Christian can... Read it. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Actually, I've never heard. I've never actually heard another denomination. And I listen to a lot of speakers from a lot of different backgrounds. I've actually never heard anybody else bring up the three interest message, which is interesting in itself. I wonder what that's. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear some other thoughts on it. But anyway. Um, yeah. So anyway, we'll get to that. Um, this is and it's yeah. We'll, we'll we'll come back to that. But before then, um, first things first, we got to say thank you so much, South Queensland Conference. You guys are amazing. Yeah. Oh, honestly. For those of you who have not been following along for the last week or so, it's all it's been all over our Instagram and Facebook story. Um, but yeah, Josh and I just spent 10 days at uh, Watson Park in Brisbane, Australia, um, co-presenting at the senior high tent of the South Queensland Big Camp. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um- uh, yeah, it was definitely the biggest big camp I've ever been to. It was quite the quite the large operation. And um, yeah, it, yeah, 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 same. Really, Incredible. really interesting, but awesome people. Great, ah, oh, just great team to work with. Awesome, um, like some of the, the senior high school students that we met in our tent. All such high quality people. Mm. Um, yeah, we had such a good time. So thank you. We love you all. And uh, I thought, actually, maybe for this week's question of the week, um, we do a just what was your favorite thing about Big Camp? Mm. Oh, there's so many, there's so many things that I could talk about that were my favorite thing. But honestly, I think the thing that made the biggest lasting impact on me was what we got to do every single night which was co-preach i've never done tag team preaching before but basically Mm. if you weren't there josh and i did 15 minutes each back-to-back preaching every every single night about the same topic and we kind of hit it from a different angle and it was really weird to begin with we didn't quite know how it was going to turn out or even if it was going to work at all 
So really, South Queensland really they took a huge risk on us in the first place to get us both over there and to yeah. have us both present. So it's pretty insane. Uh, but it worked in the end. Uh, it worked really well. We found our groove. And what it really taught me was that how different you and I are, which I think is funny because a lot of people, like the whole week we kept on, people kept on calling us by the wrong name. Like they would call you Jesse all the time. They call me Josh all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was hilarious. Um, but even so, even though that we are similar in so many ways, it did illustrate to me how very different our brains work. Like I did so much preparation and so much like unnecessary preparation in some sense for, for my talks because some of my talks ended up being, I'm not going to say spur of the moment, but some of the talks that I ended up speaking ended up going in completely different directions just while I was standing in the congregation worshipping 10 minutes before I was meant to get on. Like, I would be thinking about my talk and what I was going to say and I thought, hang on, I'm going at the wrong angle. Let's just go from a different place. And I did that. Um, so that that put me out of my comfort zone as a preacher, which I think was good in the end. At least I hope it was good in the end. And, um, But yeah, it really illustrated to me how different you and I are, especially when it comes to the preparation, the way we present, all that sort of stuff. I don't know. How yeah. did how did you find that? I think you might have been mildly, well, maybe a little bit horrified by the way I prepare. But <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I I do a lot of I did I yeah. We we definitely have different styles, and like I've never I've never heard you preach. I don't think before this, and I don't think you've ever heard me preach. I don't know. Maybe oh, actually, maybe you have. I can't remember. But uh, yeah, um, yes, I have. I pre- I've heard you preach once or twice. Yeah, actually, no, I have heard you preach because it got you to come. Yeah, no, I have once. Oh, yeah. Oh, that means I lied. That means I lied to the kids because I said I've never heard him preach before, but now I've just remembered I have once. Anyway, I do I'm remember. Sure I do. Me. I do remember that one time you asked me to preach was probably one of my most horrible preaching appointments ever. <laughs> because so maybe I was I, telling the truth. Maybe I haven't heard you <laughs> preach. But I've heard you talk. <laughs> I remember the time you got me to preach in front of a bunch of teenagers from from school um, here at here in. Um, Palmy, and I printed out all my notes on paper instead of using my iPad, which I've always done. And it was so dark, I couldn't see my notes properly. And then I got my notes jumbled up and I got so flustered that what I ended up preaching, I don't even know what I ended up preaching. Anyway, that's just, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> all good. Um, yeah, no, I like tag team preaching. That was really fun. Um, and yeah, I really stretched myself this week because I, I wanted to do the whole week getting up there without any notes and I did it. Didn't, didn't it's take insane. notes up there once. Which is insane. So. I I just, yeah, I can't believe you did that, <laughs> to be honest. Like, it's so, like, it's such a baller move to get up there every single night, like, eight nights in a row without without notes. It's insane. Yeah, I don't know what came over me, to be honest. I had notes for the first three talks planned out, like, proper <laughs> for preaching. And I just, I took the iPad backstage and then I just left it there. I'm like, nah, I'm not doing it, just going. And, I, yeah, it was really weird. So, and after that, I just was like, oh. Yeah, let's just keep doing it. Let's see if I can keep the streak up. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. So that was cool. Um But yeah, it was it was pretty stressful. But I, I liked it though. I think it was I, I think having like two two preachers with the different styles preach on the same sort of the same thing but from two different angles, I think it was really cool. Um Yeah. So I don't know. Hopefully we can do it again one day. I thought it was I thought it was really fun. I don't know. 
Yeah, it was a really mm. good experience. I'd like to try it again, but like on a different topic or on a couple of yeah. different topics, see how else we definitely, can work it together. Definitely give a little bit of distance and it would have to be something completely different. I wouldn't want to yeah. go and do that exact same thing again. That would just not be good. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't mind doing the exact same thing again. I had a great time, but... <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe like maybe like in a few years' time, not like right. next month or something. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, well, fair enough. I uh, I think my highlight from the whole thing. I I mean, my I, I feel like my my highlight as an answer is really boring, so I'm gonna give two. Um, the first one, I just love meeting new people because that's who I am, extrovert. <laughs> um, Jesse unfortunately had to put up with me like late at night, being like, oh, I'm not ready to go to sleep. I want to go hang out with people. You know what I mean? I just um, yeah. But I I really just love meeting and connecting with new people. That's a big and met so many great people. So I just had a great time doing that, and um. Second highlight would be the going to Wet n Wild because I've never been before. Always wanted to go, and not a very spiritual answer, but had a great time. And that is highlight perfectly of Wet n Wild was sitting sitting in a tube going around a whirlpool for forty five minutes, and it was the best. Wait, wait, forty five minutes straight. <laughs> yeah, man, <laughs> you just you just chill in this thing, and you go around and around this sort of like lagoon. It's like a, it's like a river kind oh, of yeah. but it just goes round so it's sort of like a whirlpool wow that yeah, sounds terrifying had a great time. no it's not it's not fast it's quite it's slow and relaxing oh oh okay okay i got you now yeah okay i don't know what else to call it because it's sort of a whirlpool but sort of like a lagoon river thing i don't know right right okay no that's but that sounds shallow, nice like you can stand up at any point if you're okay, so it's like it's like the little river that you can go on in some of those either, those other water parks where you're just like floating down the river in a circle the whole time. Yes, yeah, exactly that. So, yeah, that was the best. I went on all these like super high adrenaline rides, and then that one at the very end was my total highlight. I did not want to get off. I just wish I went there at the beginning of the day and stayed there all day. <laughs> That's funny. That sounds great. That sounds like my kind of ride. Yeah. Right, yeah. Next time, next time we go to Brisbane, we'll go. All right. You and I. Full, we'll go, we'll go full disclosure, I did not go to Wet n Wild because I am terrified of anything with heights and speed, and especially when you add water into the mix. So yes, I'm a big, I'm a big softy. I'm a big wuss when it comes to that sort of stuff. So you can bag me all out as much as you want. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I tried to convince him, people. I really did, but it was no go. In my defense, I spent most of the day writing my sermons for the rest of the week. So maybe that's why it was so good because I had a bit of peace and quiet for once and I was able to just work on my sermons. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> that's true. I, yeah, I kind of, like looking back, it would have been nice to have that time to work on my sermons, but it went wild. It's just- <laughs> Such it a sounds like such a bad excuse. <laughs> and oh, and here's here's a, here's something that I learned during the week. If a pro tip for all you preachers and teachers who go and, and do like sneakers, preachers and sneakers who do mm-hmm. like um, preaching appointments at camps and stuff like that. If you're going to uh, camp with teenagers, especially, do take the time to go on activities and actually like engage with the kids because that's one of the feedbacks that we got that we did. Um, not not to you know sound like up ourselves like look how great we are, but they did say that one of the things that a lot of preachers don't do is they don't actually go to um, activities and actually play with the kids and just hang out with the kids. And um, we thought that was just a natural thing because that's what we've always done. So we didn't really think much of it, but we realized later on that 
yeah, that's something that really helps. And especially if you are kind of struggling with your sermons and your messages during the uh, the week, one of the things that I realized later on was the kids were responding not just because the messages were good, which I hope they were, but because they felt that they knew us as people rather than just like a person that gets up on stage. And we weren't yeah. we weren't unapproachable is what I'm trying to say. And we actually invested. And I think that did make a difference. Yeah, I had a great time. Um, like I noticed the kids definitely respond like A, because they get more used to on stage, but I think also B, because you just, you hang out with them more. They get to know you as a person. So they understand your personality more and so they get your jokes a little bit better I don't know but yeah yeah anyway all around great time thank you South Queensland conference thank you South Queensland very cool (laughs) yes yes okay all right so three angels um, fly onto earth it sounds like I'm setting up a joke or something like We should probably give some context to this um, before we get fully into it because while we're at big camp, one of the things that Josh and I both did, um, we didn't just do morning talks. uh, Sorry, we didn't just do evening talks. We also did some morning talks, which were a lot more more low-key, sort of just like five minutes. And one of the mornings um, when we weren't doing it, Pastor Brett Townend, who is, for those of you who don't know, the lead pastor slash conference president of the South Queensland Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, which is, every time I say those things, it's just like, oh, it's so important, like all these titles and words and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) But he is, he is. Um, He did a five-minute talk on the three angels' messages in Revelation 14, and I had never heard them done in five minutes before, and I was actually quite blown away at how accessible and how, um, yeah, appealing uh, he put it when he just summarized it in five minutes. So in true Burn the Haystack style, we're going to take his five minutes and we're going to expand it into three hours over three episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Three angels message in three hours? That's pretty good. Yeah. The, okay, the thing is, we thought, you know, we we were originally thinking, why don't we just do all three in one episode? But then we thought, well, what's the point? We may as well just, like, expand, have fun with them, really stretch, like, stretch out the ideas, because that's what podcasts are for. But at the end, um, we are still going to give a sort of summary of the Three Angels message, the way we see it and find it, find relevance in it for today. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, it won't ju- so, you know, you're not just getting three hours value, you're also getting five minutes value. That you can use and <laughs> explain it to other people, and I mean, let's face it as well. Like a lot of us too, when you hear a podcast, at the end of the day, you'll get like, you're just gonna like, you're gonna grab the big ideas, and you're gonna they're gonna stick to you. So that's sort of as you, as we go through each of these angels, you're sort of gonna naturally grab these ideas, and they should stick stick to you. Anyway, since sounds we talking about sticking to people, but <laughs> yeah, um, they're sticky ideas. Sticky ideas. Um, so I think, yeah, and I, I think it'll enhance the way you read it too. And we would encourage you guys. I mean, this isn't really like a Bible study podcast. Um, it sort yeah. of is, but yeah, it's um, this time because we're, we're actually looking at like a Bible text and sort of unpacking it. I guess this is more Bible study sort of stuff than we've done before. Um, so it would actually be awesome if you checked out Revelation 14 for yourself as well. Have a read over it mm. and see what you reckon. Um, 
because yeah it's there's some cool ideas in there mm. um, so anyway yeah and i think the other reason why we're doing this is because it can seem so inaccessible sometimes like a lot of people a lot of christians especially will look at revelation and go oh too hard too complicated to like let's just leave that for the academics and we won't worry about it too much and I think that is a mistake. I think, you know, if we want to be biblically literate and understand the grand picture of the Bible, which ultimately all centers around Jesus, it will it will behoove us to check out some of these more cryptic um, texts, not to try and fully understand them, because a lot of people try to, you know, fully understand this. And I think that it's a mistake to think that you can ever really get your head around especially prophecy and apocalyptic literature but i still think it's important that we grapple with it and we grow in it yeah so if you want to check it out for yourself it is in revelation chapter 14 from verse 6 through to um, the end of 11 is basically the actual three angels messages it's good to read around it so you get a little bit of context within it too but um, yeah, so if you want to read just the core messages, that's it. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through to uh, the end of 11. Mm. Um, so anyway, uh, maybe I'll just start off. because uh, So we're just going to do the first first angel's message today um, and just riff on that, have a look at some ideas that we find interesting from it. Um, quick disclaimer, this is by no means an exhaustive Bible study linking to every possible um, meaning of this passage um this is just some thoughts that i guess we have on it and some ways that we find relevance for this passage today in our lives personally um Mm. yeah so anyway i'll just read from the from the english standard version yes oh yeah (laughs) revelation 14 then i saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation and tribe and language and people And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made the heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. That's it. Mm. That's the first angel. Cool. All right. So there's a lot in that, even in that just little passage. Um, I think probably the first thing that we could focus on is the idea of eternal gospel um the idea of i mean i suppose the first thing that you could you could say is what the heck is the deal with these angels and why are there three angels and why are they flying directly it it, it's interesting in the esv it says directly overhead and in another translation which i believe is the nkjv or the niv it says flying in mid heaven, which is kind of an interesting like whereabouts is that? Where where are the angels? <laughs> so I think Why I've are there heard three this, of them? I think yeah. I've heard this before, the whole heavens okay. thing. Yeah. Because you've got like from the old school biblical kind of mindset, there's like the heaven there's like the sky heavens, which I think is like the middle heavens or like not in the atmosphere. It's like actually just flying within our realm of I don't know how to explain it right so it's yeah, not because in the like, clouds in like the heavens it's like in the middle yeah you know? but then because there's like when, the heavens and the skies and then there's like heaven heaven which is yeah because when we think that. of heavens we think of heaven but when the ancient Jews I suppose thought of heavens they would have thought of the sky and sort of maybe the different 
spheres of the sky, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how it works. So someone feel free to correct me, but I'm pretty sure from stuff I've seen before when it says middle heavens, that's sort of what they're thinking. So when this says directly overhead, you know, mm. it's like actually above you. So it's 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 like the three angels, they are flying in the sky, but they're not flying all the way up in space. They're flying in a in a space of the heavens that is visible so that people can actually see it. So there's like they're like they're flying in a space where the message can be proclaimed and everybody will hear this message being proclaimed. Yeah. I think maybe maybe in our modern language, maybe a better way you could translate it or maybe the way it's supposed to we would put it is like if something is in the air compared to being in the sky. You know, if I say right. like there's a drone in the air, you would I, like when I would say that you'd think it's not it's like uh, flying above us but not like way up. But then if I so said there's would... a drone in the sky, you'd probably think it's way up. That's just yeah. how we think about it with our modern English language. So maybe a better translation would be I saw an angel in the air. So it's like <laughs> it's like a drone is in the air whereas like a plane goes up to like 40,000 feet in the yep. sky. So it's like above the clouds. So that's like the plane climbs to a certain altitude and you can no longer see it, but a drone can only go to a certain altitude so everybody can still see it and hear it. Yeah. So the angel is a drone. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I, that's what I've gotten from this. Yeah. But no, that's maybe cool. that's actually the angel is a good. Drone. Yeah, like airplane compared to drone is probably a good way to look at it, I would think. So this is the three drones message. <laughs> Destroy all humans. No, right. <laughs> Skynet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, yeah. Cool. So I, I think it adds a cool level of like proximity because this is like if there's an angel in like the air, then it feels like heaven is actually beginning to really invade earth in a way. Like it's like that stuff. Ah. It's not distant anymore. It's coming close. So in some ways, maybe like the three angels they're like heralds like they're they they're the the guys that come before the king to herald the king is coming you know the king is coming and they're shouting out a proclamation that the king ha- is coming and he has expectations for how you should behave and how you should act knowing that information knowing that the king is coming here is how you should then act yeah which is, it's kind of cool because, I mean, you have the lamb and the 144,000 just before this. So you can almost picture like this huge big thing happening, you know. It's like a massive yeah. parade almost with like these. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's not, we're not really getting, yeah. So it's kind of a cool picture um, that you, you're kind of getting of it's all, it's all really happening, you know. That's kind of what Revelation is. It's all unfolding right before us. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, So uh, next would be like this eternal gospel. Um, I know that... Everlasting gospel is probably the one you hear more often in the advert because I think that's the KJV translation. Yeah, I was going to... I was, yeah, just about to say that. So true. sorry. Um, No, no, it's it's the one that you hear the most often, the everlasting gospel. And I think it's interesting because in some ways, at least in our faith tradition, I think we kind of separate the everlasting gospel from like the other gospel. Like, Mm. Like you've got the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, gospel literally just means good news. Um, 
I think it, it, it comes from a Germanic word, um, God, good, good spell or something which just means like a good spell or a good message or a good proclamation, yeah. um, which the original Greek is euangelion, which is where we get the word evangelize or evangelical from. Um, but we, in some ways, I think we kind of separate out like there's the gospel of Jesus in the, in the, the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and then you have the eternal or the everlasting gospel, which in some ways, I think we've kind of painted that gospel as more of a Old Testament gospel, less of a grace-based gospel. And we kind of have made that gospel a little bit different from, from the original gospel. I don't know. What has your experience been with the everlasting gospel? How, how have you thought about it, Josh? I don't, I don't know. I think, I think in my mind, I've just always just substituted it for gospel. Like, I don't think I've really ever noticed a, a difference in my mind, except this is like explaining that even in the end, it's still good news. You know what I mean? Like, it will always be good news. It will always be the best thing that's ever happened. Mm. Um, that Jesus came and died and, and rose again and mm. that we are invited into that, that resurrection because of his, his power. Like, that's... That's never going to not be good news. Even in heaven, I guess, it'll still be good news. Like, because because of that, will forever be changed. I don't know. I think that's... Uh, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think I've had an experience which has made me think, like, less of, less of the gospel by putting the word everlasting or something in front of it. Or think differently of it, maybe, rather mm. than think less. Um, just for me and my, my church experience, but I, I don't know, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I think what um, I've experienced most often is that we conflate the idea of everlasting gospel with what the angel says in verse 7. So we have the order of um, this angel. He proclaims the everlasting gospel to every nation and tribe and language and people. And then he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Um, right. funny in another translation yeah so we say okay that's the everlasting gospel but that's actually not the everlasting gospel that's a separate proclamation that is encased within the gospel but it isn't the gospel itself does that make mm. sense yeah so it's kind of like it's like an outpouring of the gospel um, but it's not it isn't the gospel uh, which is which is interesting um, and the other thing which is interesting, um, the angel who declares um, in verse 6 uh, an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people, that's a phrase that gets used a lot in the Old Testament. Um, and it's in this case is referring to people who, um, the people that are not within the fold of God, who have not said yes to the Lamb's um, blessing and who have not yet responded to the gospel. Um, it's interesting that um, in Matthew 24, verse 14, that the everlasting gospel, uh, Jesus says that the everlasting gospel is to be proclaimed and heard in the closing days of the world's history, and then the end will come, right? That's that's Jesus's sort of prediction of what's going to happen, that those people who have never been given a chance to respond to the good news about Jesus, his death and his resurrection and his subsequent um, 
coronation and, and enthronement and the ushering in of his new kingdom, those people who have not heard that good news that is for all people, they will have that chance to receive it and to um, respond to it and that everybody will have a fair chance. There will be nobody who gets left out, nobody who will get sort of out in the dark. And when God comes, it's not going to be like, oh, well, sorry, I never had an opportunity. Like it's this fairness that everybody will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to it, which I, I don't know how that's going to work. Honestly, this whole thing is is very... <sighs> I don't know. It's very, it's very strange, and I don't know how that actually works in real, in real life. But yeah, apparently that's what it is. Yeah. Well, I think as well, it's important to remember that. I mean, as a church, we've sort of taken on the the mantle that we're here to proclaim the three angels' message. So this is something, I guess, for us to keep proclaiming that everybody needs to hear this gospel. Everybody needs to hear the good news. Um, mm. Like even if somebody hasn't accepted God. Like, you can't cast them out. You have to keep proclaiming it, you know? Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like it's, we're, it's, we're in this weird space as a church because I think the SDA church is one of the only denominations today that still actively believes that the end is soon. And not in a... And it, it makes me feel weird when I say that because when I think of that, the connotation is always those... Um, the end is nigh street preachers with their with their flip signs and their you know megaphones yelling the end is coming repent repent mm. all that and that's not like that's sort of part of our history but even regular ordinary people who don't do that and who go to work every day and who get married and have kids and take on new jobs and play golf and do all the stuff that people do like they still believe that the end is coming that Jesus is coming soon and they live and we live in that tension of Jesus is coming soon. And yet we've been around for over 150 years and Jesus hasn't come yet. Um, so it's like our mission is to proclaim to the world the everlasting gospel within the context of the three angels message. That's our mission as a church. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, we are kind of in a weird space because we're like one of the only churches that um, we're the only church that I'm aware of that actually does that. Like, that's core to our mission. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think there are other denominations that have a... Like, I, I think there's a, I think there are other denominations who believe, like, a rapture is coming soon sort of thing, or, like, a secret, a secret right. rapture. I don't think they believe... Like, I don't... I don't know. Yeah, maybe this is something worth researching and putting more time into. But, yeah, it's definitely not a big common thought. You know, like, the biggest, most loud... The loudest churches these days are, like, the the Catholic and the evangelical, like the big loud voices or like hyper-conservative. Um, mm. And yeah, none of them are really talking about Jesus coming again heaps soon. Like they don't have this huge sense of urgency like like our message does, I guess. Yeah. For a lot of Christendom, the sense of urgency is we've got to get people saved. We've got to tell them the gospel, which most people think the gospel just simply is Jesus died for my sins. I'm a bad person. Jesus can make me a good person. And if I put my trust in him, I, I can go to heaven when I die, which is not a very biblical thing to believe because the Bible doesn't talk about believing in Jesus so that you can go to heaven when you die. But that's a different message altogether. Um, that's kind of been the 
driving force. That's been the motivation for most Christians, which is I've got to evangelize and I've got to reach people for Christ so that they don't, so that they can go to heaven and so they can avoid going to hell. Whereas our motivation uh, is Jesus is coming soon. So we've got to reach as many people as possible before he comes again, which is still sort of like, there's still, there's a different sense of urgency, I suppose, in a way. Most Christians are probably not driven as much by the expectation of Jesus soon return. Whereas for Adventists, that's, that's all we've got. (laughs) Like that's, that's everything for us. You know what I mean? And that's, it's a different way to be, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to grapple with it. I don't I don't reject it, but at the same time, it makes me wonder what is that how does that make us different from other Christians? Like what does it actually do? Um, maybe a, a question for another time. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um Yeah. So the well, I think, I don't know, yeah, just thinking about it. <laughs> I think a sense of urgency, a sense of urgency is something good for, like, being a disciple because you can't, you know, you like, I think that's part of the reason why our church grew so quickly is because everybody had this sense of urgency. And, and there is something cool about that because, I mean, I talked to a lot of the older members in my church and a lot of them are surprised that their kid kids grew up, you know, and that Jesus still yeah. doesn't come or that, that, you know, they're like, so they're so still so sure that they, that they won't die before Jesus will come a lot, you know, many of them, maybe not all of them, but you know, like a, a good chunk of people, they still have that. Like, it's not like Jesus is coming soon. It's like Jesus is coming like now, you know, like now is the time, um, mm. which is, I don't know. I think it's pretty cool to have, for it to be so real that it affects your every everyday life. And I think that's part of what Jesus sort of wants in us, that we have this such a real sense of God and his Holy Spirit in our everyday life that it, it really compels us to live differently. Yeah. Because it feels so present and real. And I think a sense of urgency like Jesus is coming again really soon. I think it does that for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and I think, like, even the early church, like Paul and the other apostles, they all expected that Jesus would return in their lifetime because for them, the world was so small. And when they were literally going to the ends of the earth, they were just going to the ends of Europe and, and you know, Asia and Africa. Yeah. And so I think with that with that idea, like, you know, Paul talks to the, like, the Thessalonican church and he talks to them about what's going to be like when Jesus returns. And he, the language that he uses... It's like, well, this is going to be happening in our lifetime. Um, I, I, I think the early church they didn't, they didn't think that probably Christianity would continue for as long as it did, um, which is interesting mm. that here we are over you know two thousand years later and we're still we're still waiting. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but not just waiting, proclaiming. Oh, anyway, That's right. sorry, <laughs> getting preacher. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I think like that, and that's the idea, the, the idea that the angel says in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. It's that constant like, it's come, you know, this is mm. this is the moment. And um, I don't know, unpacking the words fear God and give him glory, I think for a lot of people can be, feel like a bit, oh, that's a weird thing. You know, I don't think about fearing God much these days or like his judgment. But um, like to fear God, it's not, 
it's not like to be afraid of God. To to fear God is sort of to, um, I don't know, like it's a sense of remembering who you're worshiping. Like this is a God who can breathe stars into existence, mm. and you know what I mean. Like it's, and it's it's a it's a sense of like wonder and awe, instead of maybe like to be scared of God. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I like. I remember the I remember when um when I was in Nepal. And we, we rode, well, we, so we went on like a jungle tour, a jungle experience thing. And, um, the guy who was leading our trip, he didn't have a gun or a rifle or anything. Cause there were like full on tigers and bears in this jungle and elephants and rhinos. He took a stick, like not even a sharp stick, just a stick. Um, and that was his <laughs> like thing, you know, like, that's what he leads us through this jungle with. And I'm sitting there like, and he, anyway, he was like telling us how to survive depending on what animal attacks and that kind of thing. And I don't have time to go through them all, but you know, sort of like, you know, if, if it's a, if it's a rhino, uh, if it's a rhino, just climb up a tree, that sort of thing. Cause they can hit the tree, but they probably won't, they probably won't knock it over. Um, uh, but then like when he gets to like, now if you run into a tiger, literally all you can do is look at it, be very quiet and slowly back away. And then as you leave, you respect it by saying namaste and you bow. Because it's like, if you see a tiger and you're alive, that's because the tiger has chosen for whatever reason to not kill you. Like the chances of you seeing a tiger and living, if it wants to kill you, it's zero. Like you've got nothing you can do against it. And in it, it caused me this huge sense of like fear. Like I was like, oh my gosh, imagine if a tiger comes. But a tiger is still my favorite animal. I still love them. And uh, like, if I go to the zoo and I see an animal, like see a tiger, I'm still like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. I'm like in awe of them. And I honestly can say during that trip, I really, 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 really wanted to see a tiger. I was like, I don't know why. I really wanted to see it. Even though it could kill me, even though it's horrifying, I was still like, I just really want to see it. And I think of that kind of fear when I think of this. I don't know if that makes Mm. sense to you, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, because I mean, your emotions towards the tiger is is mixed. You've got emotions of wonder and awe and beauty, but you also have emotions of fear and trepidation, and it could kill you. And I think I think that's the same with God. You know, yeah, it's like when when Moses climbed the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, to get the tablets of the Ten Commandments. You know, he wanted to see God. He wanted to see the face of God. But God was like, no, if you see my face, you will die. So God shows him his back. And even seeing God's back is enough to make Moses's face glow like a flipping light mm. bulb in the middle of the desert for like a week. Um, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same sort of, yeah, it's wonder and awe. I think that's, I think that's what God is calling us to. And I think that's just the reality because God is the, as you said, the being that can breathe stars into the into existence and equally he could snuff them out if he wanted to so yeah i think the only correct response to god is fear and glory um because that's who he is um yeah Mm. yeah that's cool um message to be proclaiming eh? yeah it is it is um and then uh, they go on. He goes on to say, Fear God, give him, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Um, and that's, again, another sort of taboo 
phrase or idea, especially in Western culture, because we often associate judgment with intolerance or with bigotry or anything like that. We don't like the word judgment. Um, it's sort of like a swear word for us in, in the West, at least in the at least I'm in this judging, day but, and age. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, when do we actually use that phrase? Like, we, when we actually judge, we never say, I'm judging you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we, we don't want to say it because we know inherently, oh, I'm not supposed to judge people. And we even use this in, in the church when we say, you know, we're called to love people, not judge them. That's true. But I think the idea behind that is is the idea that there is there is one true judge or there is somebody... If there, are, if there are people that are not worthy to judge, there must be somebody who is worthy to judge, mm. you know? If we realize that we are flawed judges, then that internally automatically means that there must be somebody who we deem as worthy. Um, and if the, the person who reveals himself in Jesus and the person who calls us to give him honor and glory and to fear him is that same judge, then that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, totally. But the idea of judgment as well in the Old Testament, especially and throughout Revelation, it's a really interesting idea. And I mean, we could probably do an entire episode and just on judgment um, <laughs> because judgment is always mentioned in the context of injustice, um, which makes mm. sense. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't mention justice if everything was just you would only mention the need for justice if things weren't right if things were unjust if the weak were oppressed and the strong were tyrannical and things weren't as they are supposed to be and so in this idea in this in this statement of the hour of his judgment has come this is really good news but this is only good news for some people this is really good news for some people and this is really bad news for other people um the people for whom it's good news are the people who are the oppressed and the um and the 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 downtrodden the poor the the not well connected the victims the marginalized um the people who uh, there's this phrase that that goes throughout lamentations and through the second temple period where and the exile period, the exile writings in the Old Testament where the people cry out, how long, O Lord, how long will you allow injustice to continue? How long will you allow tyrants to rule over, over us? How long will you allow Babylon to crush us underneath its mighty foot of evil and death and destruction? Mm. And so to those people, judgment is a really good thing. It's good news. It's kind of like... The judgment of God is kind of like tied up with the gospel, the good news, because it means that there will be an end to tyrants. There will be an end to dictators and to empires and to Babylon, which we'll talk about next week. Um, but to yeah. Babylon, it's really bad news. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's that's the thing. I think a lot of people forget that the Bible was written to people who were being oppressed. You know, one of, and that's, I mean, as Rob Bell loves to to word it it's it's like you you read the like it's this group of people who had the boot of an empire on their neck we've, yeah you know living in new zealand or whatever like we've never had that like we live free we might feel oppressed sometimes but it's more like <laughs> it's like I feel, hashtag I feel oppressed. oppressed it's like sarcastic yeah it's like first world problems that kind of thing it's like oh no i can't get my um 
<laughs> Sorry, I can't get my spice pumpkin latte from Starbucks because it's not autumn. You know what I mean? Like, How did oh, I know you were going to say that? I just... <laughs> I hate that that's what came out of me, but that's that's what I thought of. But that's the thing, though. That's that's reality. Like we're not living in an so that's that's why a lot of us we see judgment we're like, Ugh. but to somebody under that oppression, in, in which judgment will mean freedom for them, that's exciting. Mm. Or judgment will mean like liberation, or like things will be set right. That's really exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's so exciting. Um, and yeah, so I think. For, for Babylon, we'll talk about Babylon next week um, because the second angel focuses completely on Babylon. Yeah. Um, so I think that'll make a lot more sense once we delve into that idea of what Babylon is and what Babylon represents. But yeah, I think, I think we already have that picture um, in our heads. So yeah, judgment. And then um, they go on, uh, John goes on to say, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Um, and so I think in some sense, probably the, the crux, and I think actually in some sense, I think the first angel's message is probably the most dense in terms of the different themes that are intermingling all together and the different ideas that come crashing down all together to form this picture of what the first angel's message is. Um, so in some sense, I think you could say the everlasting gospel is the heart or maybe that worship is the heart. I'm not quite sure which one is the most supreme idea in this but worship is definitely a big one well yeah um like even that last part for me anyway like the first thing i think of when i read those last few words is it just takes me back to creation like create the creation story and how like god you know makes the heavens and the earth it's like back to genesis one again which is so like oh here we go again you know we're going back you know just always so many things are pointing back to that but for me, it's it's a reminder again of who God is. Like He's not the creation; He's the Creator, and mm. He's the He's the Giver of life, which is part of the gospel as well. Like you think about, so that there are the springs of water, and we we're lucky, you know, at least in in Western society. Like I, I walk into my kitchen, I turn the tap on, water comes out. Whereas, like for a very long time, and still in many parts of the world, you want water, you grab a bucket, you find the nearest spring of water, you go and fill it up and bring it back. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, for for them, like rivers, um, co- like beaches, um, and lakes, and like uh, what, what like what's the word I'm looking for? Like an oasis or that sort of thing, yeah, like a springs. spring of water. Yeah, that's where yeah. life is. You can't live without those sort of things. That's the giver of your life. You go out to the ocean, you get fish, all that kind of stuff, and like you find springs of water. It's that's that's where you're going to get fresh drinking water and, and rivers and all that kind of thing. Mm. Hopefully, um, but uh, but then it's like the he's it's pointing him back to he's actually the one who created that. So he is like the ultimate giver of life, and that sort of ties back into this idea of gospel and the everlasting gospel you know it's like he's mm. the one who gives life and life ah yeah it's it's really kind of a cool thing to 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 think about and yeah, yeah i don't know for me it's just a like this is the, this is our god and he's coming mm. yeah yeah and i think yeah because because worship worship is is inherently tied up with worth and who deserves it um because you don't worship something because you believe that it's not worthy 
Like, that just makes no sense. You would never yeah. worship something if you didn't think that it was worthy of worship or honor or praise or whatever it might be. And when I read this, it reminds me of Romans uh, Romans 1, where Paul is talking about how, and I won't read the whole thing, um, how God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, this is verse 18, suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain of them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So it's mm. this idea of like humanity uh, willfully letting go of their own divine nature that we were created to rule and reign alongside God, that like our original job description and rejecting the glory of God who made heaven and earth and or the sea and the fountains of water. And instead we started to worship heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water and everything around it. We exchanged our own glory and we forsook the glory of God to worship lesser things. So it would make perfect sense then in the end that worship would be an integral issue when it came to um the end of the world because worship is inherently tied to who you are and the object of your worship. Yeah. Yeah, fully. And I mean, this is really sort of, I don't know, it's starting to like get, get into the third angel's message, you know, I guess, but, but that's ultimately, ultimately what it is. I mean, worship is so important. And if we can't like, I mean, how easy is it for us to just, to get so caught up in in everything around us, you know, in just the world around us, which, I mean, yeah, I don't want to vote too much into the third angel's message because I don't want to be repeating myself when we come back to it. But it's like, it's like the first angel comes and it's this big explosion and this reminder of, hey, like, this is our God. Like, it's a reminder and, and a true picture of what this is really all about. Mm. And... It's like as soon as it frames it, I think the rest of the the rest of the angels' messages make a bit more sense because it's like, oh right, that's it. You know, it's like reframing, mm. and recontextualizing, reconnecting to um, what what this is really all about. Yeah, yeah. Um, because ultimately, wor- worship is about who you are and who God is. And if you are worshiping God in spirit and in truth, as Jesus says to the woman at, at the well on, in John chapter four you also recognize who you are in relation to God. So there's a self-reflection of, I am made in the image of God, but then there's also a further and grander reflection of God is the only one worthy of worship. Mm. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, hey, any other any other last thoughts on the, the first angel's message? Because I would like to get into maybe the practicality of the first angel's message, like what, how this affects your everyday spirituality. So did you have any more thoughts on theology mm. with this message? Um, no, I think we can definitely talk about practicality. There is one thing that I might mention, but 
if we have time, I'll mention it after the practicality or during the practicality session, just okay. to keep you on edge. Just to keep you on edge, Josh. <laughs> I'm, I'm on edge, man. I'm scared. Um, I'm like repositioning myself on my couch because I'm scared of what you're gonna say. No, um, I'm just don't be scared, myself. Josh. Just just fear Jesse and you fear know. You know. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, okay, so the practicality of this first angel's message. So again, like we talked about, um, part of the whole message of the Adventist Church is that we we talk about how we're we're here to proclaim the the three angels message or the gospel of the three angels message so obviously if you're gonna if if this message is meant to affect how you proclaim god um to tie in sort of everything we've been talking about uh which is sort of a lot um but ultimately this this message and this short little couple of verses it's dense but it's it's not that long at the end of the day um this should really, I don't know, be a good reminder of you in how you're meant to speak to people and how you're meant to share your faith in a way. Um, see, the the three angels come, and the first thing they do, they don't they don't sit there and they don't start with Babylon is fallen, you know, they don't start with don't worship Babylon, they start with the gospel, they start with how good God is, and I think that's something that a lot of us um, in the, in the whole church world have gotten pretty wrong when it comes to talking about God with others, especially those who don't mm. have any sort of, you know, faith in God or even any sort of divine being, um, particularly the Judeo-Christian God. Like, I think a lot of people just get real like, wow, like, I don't know, they, they feel the need to just stand up for the principles of their faith without actually sharing about like the goodness of God first, the goodness of this creator God, the one who gives life, the one mm. who's given life and shown that through Jesus. Um, yeah. To me, it's like, well, that's what we should be starting with with people. That's what we should be. That's the thing we should be celebrating first and foremost, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. You you shared a great um, message a few days ago when we were at Big Camp. Um, when you use that 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 verse, and I'll probably butcher it, but it's like always be pre- prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Mm. And I think we've kind of substituted that for prepared to be prepared to give an answer. For the theological beliefs that you hold dear you know yeah. what i mean um but i think that idea of um be always prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have is well what is the gospel to you what is jesus to you when i look at the new testament i look at all the ways that the gospel is shared um, the gospel is always shared differently to different people with different emphases it always has the same basic elements it always focuses around jesus it always focuses around his resurrection and it always focuses around his um, inauguration as king and as the ruler of a new kingdom a new way of being but i think what we've done in a way is we've kind of made the gospel into just a a standard sort of spiel um which always has to do with substitutionary atonement and look how rotten you are as a sinner and if you accept Jesus then you can avoid burning forever in hell and you can go to heaven forever and we've turned it into this thing which I don't think it was ever meant to be Um, and I think when we do that we kind of miss out the power of what is the gospel to you what does the gospel mean to your personal story and I think when we really grapple with that idea then I think our story becomes much more powerful and the way that we share the hope that we have becomes far, far more powerful. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. And I mean, 
like yeah like while heaven is like a promise and that and that sort of thing it's i don't know i think a lot of people they just they ju- like when it just gets reduced down to that and all it does all it does like i think you're i think you're really right there um it sort of loses a lot of its i don't know the first word that comes to my mind is oomph I don't feel like mm. that's a very good theological word, though. But it does. I feel like it loses a lot of its <laughs> oomph when uh, when it's just about getting to heaven. But it's not. It's it's like about transforming us. It's about bringing heaven to earth. And yes, mm. heaven is a promise. But like, you know, you look at how much the Bible even just talks about money before it talks about heaven. Like yeah. that's because like the way you spend your money dictates what the world's going to be like. And God knows how that's how we function. Mm. Um, I don't know how he knew that was still going to be true this many years later, but he did. Um, that's another another topic for another day, but um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, true. Um, yeah, no, it's it's yeah. I think I think the gospel has to remain for foremost in our discussion when we when we talk about the three angels' messages because the gospel is meant to be good news for all people, and if it's not good news for all people, then it's not good news. Oh, that's good. It's good news. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cool. All right. What else? What else? What else do you want to hit when it comes to this? I think I'm good. I think I'm good on. Yeah. All right. I think I, I think I've fleshed out my my ideas that I've had with this passage. Cool. Cool. Did you have anything else? I'll, all right. I'll just say one more really quick thing, and this is sort of like a historical example when it comes to worship, because look, let's be honest. When we talk about worship, and we're in the Adventist tradition, worship always kind of goes down the same rabbit hole which we've purposely tried to avoid um but i will say this about worship is and that is that there is true worship and that there is i don't know fake worship babylonian worship i'm not quite sure how to how to you know deem it. it's like false worship and true worship we kind of set it up into these two different camps in world war Two, um a lot of people don't know this but the German church, the Christian church in Germany, um, had a really, really interesting split when it came to the way that they practiced their faith. The German Adventist church was super supportive of, of the Nazi regime, as were a lot of different Christian denominations. And the Nazis were actually quite tolerant towards Christianity because they saw it as a big... Um, big potential supporter for them. If they could support the church and the church could kind of twist their preaching to support the Nazis politically, they saw that as being a win-win. Not quite sure how you could uh, think about that in modern terms, but I'll just let people's imaginations go wild when it came to that sort of thing. Anyway, um, one of the key German Christian um, theologians, church leaders who saw an issue with this was Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he um, chose to not go along with the rest of the German church in endorsing the Nazi party, um, becoming complicit with the atrocities that they were um, that they were committing it. And at the very least, what most of the German church was doing, which was just turning a blind eye and not really being a good neighbor to the Jews because, well, as many people saw it, the Jews killed Jesus. So, why would we help them? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer ended up getting arrested and he later died in a concentration camp. And while he was there, he wrote a lot and he spoke a lot and he did a lot of thinking. 
And we have a lot of work from him from the concentration camp, his theology, which developed. And this is not an explanation about Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theology, but it is a reflection on true worship because I see there being some parallels between Nazi Germany and what we see in the declaration to true worship in Revelation. In other words, um, which God are you worshipping? Are you worshipping the God that is sanctioned by man and kind of twisted to make it look like a nice God that works with your political leanings or that works with your racial um, preferences or your racism or your sexism or whatever it is? If the sort of Christianity or the sort of worship that you practice looks like you, looks like the party you support, looks like the government or the social institution that means the most to you, then it may not be true worship. It may be worship that is, in some sense, Babylonian, um, to use that as a metaphor. So when it comes to worship, I don't think that it really... What we've tried to do, especially in the Adventist church, is try to define true worship by ticking a whole bunch of boxes. And I don't know that that's necessarily a good way to think about it. I think a better way to think about it is honesty and allowing the Spirit of God to speak truth to you and being obedient. And I think that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a hero because he was obedient and he was even obedient to the point of death. He didn't have to go to the concentration camps. He could have been complicit alongside so many other church leaders who survived the war and actually had a pretty good time of it in Germany. Um, but he chose to practice true worship. He, tro- he chose to speak out against the Nazis and he paid for it with his life. Um, and to me, that is the pattern that I think we are called to, especially if we live in an oppressive nation. Um, or in an oppressive time. And I think that's the context that we should think about true worship. My two cents anyway. Yeah, no, solid, cool. Um, so it's this connecting... That, yeah. Okay, yeah. Connecting true worship back to the creator despite... Yeah, I, I guess it's moving away from a sense of idolatry and making God in our own image and that kind of thing. And coming back yeah. to the image of God that we're actually presented with. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's about all of our thoughts on the first. Well, I mean, I'm sure we could sit here and rattle on and keep bouncing off and coming up with more things to talk about with the first angel's message. But for now, that's where we're going to leave it. Um, but any any thoughts? What do we what do we do? We get it all wrong? Have we missed the point? I don't know. Um, <laughs> let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah, feel free to get in touch with us about the whole thing. Send us an email, um, whatever. Be awesome. And uh, for all things Burn the Haystack, make sure you go to burnthehaystack.org. Links to all of our social. Yeah, absolutely. Contact form and our blog and all that jazz, he says mm. with jazz hands. <laughs> you can't see it, but Josh is doing it. He uses his hands for everything. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right and um for those of you guys who haven't already please uh subscribe to the podcast just subscribe it's free and that's free is free and free is beautiful um and if you have subscribed yeah i was avoiding trying to say that but (laughs) it was too late (laughs) (laughs) um 
and if you would like to help burn the haystack further uh, we would really appreciate it if you would write us a review um, they especially help us if you write it on iTunes and we would really appreciate it we're getting uh, more and more reviews every day helps us get out there help us to reach more people and yeah that's awesome thank you so much that is awesome that is Josh and Jesse out How is this? How is this? Ba ba da ba da ba dis ba ba da ba 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 da ba 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 da ba da ba da ba da ba ba da ba 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 <laughs> that is pretty funny. Not a good question, probably for us though. Unfortunately, no, too, too hard, too deep for me.